Broadcasting in Memphis, Tennessee, it's time for Cerrito Live. Here's your host, Kevin Cerrito. Well, there's no Kevin Cerrito today. Kevin Cerrito is out messing around on the town again on this Saturday morning. And I'm here. I'm Anthony Sane. I write for the Memphis Fire and also am the co-host of the Outsiders Podcast. And I'm here covering for Cerritos back again. I got my my man Max Vincent across the glass. Max, what's going on, man? What's up, Anthony? Man, it's good to see you this morning, bro. We uh we scared the mess out of you this morning when you walked in the door. Man, y'all did. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, Max normally lets me in uh, on Saturday mornings. And this morning I was already in the building. And me and uh, John Harden popped up on him. And, and he got scared. He got reminded he was in Hickory Hood. It just all came through him. It just, all <laughs> just a range of emotions came over his face when we came out of the door. But uh, but Max is here, um, and, and we're getting ready to do the show. Max, I'm a little thrown off as well. I got some some heartbreaking news uh, right before I got on the phone. No one passed away in my family. I didn't hear anything about MLG and W cutting my lights off or nothing like that. I got a t- I got a tweet, man, that's from from um, Adrian Wojnarowski that John Morant is will undergo a minor scope on his right knee to remove a loose body on Monday. He's expected to be fully recovered in three to four weeks. Just, just give me a moment to to get back together here, uh, Max Vance. I don't think it's that big a deal. Nah, It'll be nah. all right. It'll yeah, be all right. three to four weeks. He'll be he'll be at the draft with his suit on. You know, hopefully we can get him for summer league. That's what that's all I'm really worried about. Just make sure he's able to play in the summer league doing John Moran stuff. But um, got a pretty good show today lined up. Uh, hopefully we won't we won't have as many. I don't know if you were with me last time when we had the phone difficulties where everybody's phone cut off. Man, was that me and you? Yeah, it was me and you. Everybody's phone cut off uh, last time we did the show together. This week we got Omari Sankofa of the Athletic. He's going to come on. He's going to talk Grizzly stuff, of course. He probably needs a moment to recover. I'm not sure if he's team John Morant like me, but uh, we're going to see what he has to say about this situation. I got my friend Jared, J.B. Boyd of the Daily Memphian. He's going to come in and talk about some things. He's just a real man about town in the city of Memphis. Uh, he's covering the Lorenzo Wright uh, murder case right now, so I want to see if he has anything to say. If there's anything he can say, I want anybody to touch my boy for coming here on the radio talking about the case. So uh, he's going to be on in a minute. And also, uh, 11 o'clock, we're going to have Sharon Brown of All Heart Hoop City. She's also an independent journalist here in the city of Memphis. She just wrote a story for the Complex uh, publication uh, about women that are social media edit, uh, social media specialists uh, for NBA teams. A great article that she put out. And she's going to talk about some of the difficulties she has doing what she does within the city and across the nation. Uh, but without uh, if, without saying anything else, I got my man Amari Sankofa on the end. Amari, what's going on, bro? How's it going, man? Man, I'm just trying to make it, bro. You know I'm trying to make it, bro. What's going on with you? Man, nothing much, man. I feel like, you know, in the same boat. Everybody else with the Grizzlies is in. Yeah, man. (laughs) Just waiting for something to happen. Just remind me of of, of the Whoopi Goldberg meme. uh, meme Just sitting there waiting patiently, bro. (laughs) That's all of us, man. (laughs) That's all of us. All right. Well, let me ask you this. Did you see the, the, right before, literally right before we went on the air this morning, the news about John Morant? Uh, it's going to have uh, a minor scope done in his knee. I, I I held my chest when I saw John Moran. I was thinking he's going to say something like, you know, you know, he got a promise or he's already, you know, in moving to Memphis or whatever, something. I thought it was going to be something like that, bro. Like that we've already, you know, uh, gave him a piece of Bill Street that he can own to be his own. I thought it was going to be something like that, but we see something about him having a knee surgery, bro. So did you grab your heart like I grabbed mine? I saw it. You know, I think anything you see, anytime you see something with a knee with a point guard, you get a little nervous. Uh, you know, it, there was nothing in the report indicating that he had had some sort of knee injury previously that, you know, resulted from having a loose body needing to be removed. You know, I wouldn't panic. I wouldn't panic. You know, he had a great season, uh, you know, unless 
Trevor Deuce comes out that he has some sort of tear in there, you get nervous. But, you know, as, as of now, it doesn't sound like it's anything that's, that's, that's too serious. Yeah, but knowing the Grizzlies, you, you've only been there for about a year, Amari. Knowing the Grizzlies, there's no <laughs> way he's going to play in the summer league. They, they'll they probably shut him down. And I'm sick about that too, man, because he's going to look like an absolute monster in the summer league. Yeah, no. If he's out for a month, then I would take him. I would take him out, you know, through the beginning of July. So yeah, yeah they're I, not I gonna. Just have to see. But they they might let but, him go out there just as you know the rehab or something, a couple a couple games or see you know whatever. But I doubt it. Just knowing how things go down. Um, other Grizz topics, Amari. Uh, R.J. Barrett yesterday, reportedly it was reported yesterday that R.J. Barrett turned down a workout with the Grizz. Uh, I don't. Care. I mean, like, I, I, I'm not. I mean, I'm not gonna say that I'm not an RJ Barrett fan. I'm not gonna say that I wouldn't like to see RJ Barrett playing for the Grizzlies. But I just think that John Morant is the better, the better prospect. I think he's the better player. I think he has more tools in the toolbox, and I think that he, um, not just tools on the basketball court, but just the things he can bring off the court. Being a national name, being you know having the possibility to being an NBA superstar, uh, having you know a skill set like a Damian Lillard or a Steph Curry. Maybe not the three point jump shot like a Steph Curry, but just those exciting plays he can bring with the balls, the ball in his hand. Um, what, what, were you, what were your initial reactions when you saw that the Grizzlies uh, were uh, not just you know because it was the reports came out that, that John Morant was the Grizzlies' choice, and then you saw the Grizzlies were still doing their due diligence. They uh, they went to um, uh, R.J. Barrett's pro day, and when they came from the pro day, they tried to get an individual workout with him, and he declined. What, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. You know, obviously the Grizzlies, they seem to be locked in on Ja. They should still do their best to evaluate R.J. Barrett. They don't need a private workout to do that. They have a firm from last year. They can talk to scouts. They can talk to his former coaches. They don't need a workout to figure out what R.J. Barrett can do in the Grizzlies uniform. You know, if they want him, they'll take him. There's nothing indicating now that they want him more than Ja. I agree with you that I think Ja makes more sense for the Grizzlies than R.J. Barrett does. Uh, and it doesn't really... It's not really a big deal that R.J. Barrett declined that workout either. Uh, he's reportedly wants to go to New York. He's from Toronto. He's from the big city. New York's closer to home. Uh, there's a certain tangible benefits you get for playing in New York that this isn't a Memphis thing. This is a New York versus other, other teams thing. I saw some people on Twitter yesterday saying that, oh, he, he doesn't want to play for Memphis. Like, I hate guys that don't want to play for Memphis, yada, yada. That has nothing to do with Memphis. That has nothing to do with Memphis. Uh Guys decline workouts every year. Every team does. Right. The Sixers dealt with it with guys that they tried to draft, and they were in the middle of the process. Ben Simmons reportedly declined to work out, uh, so he eventually gave in because he had a chance to be the number one pick. Uh, Steph Curry, 10 years ago, didn't want to work out for uh, Golden State because he wanted to go to the Knicks. Uh, they had the eighth pick, Golden State had the seventh. Obviously, Golden State took him. If the Grizzlies won R.J. Barrett, they would take him. It doesn't matter what happens with the workout. Right. Uh, and ultimately, it doesn't matter if R.J. Barrett wants to play for Memphis. He will be drafted by Memphis if Memphis wants him. He will make the money a second-round pick or a second-overall pick makes. It'll be fine. This comes out every year. Some guys go where they want. Some guys don't. Ultimately, they, <laughs> mm. you know, they're in the city for you know up to seven years, and it doesn't matter much. And uh, you know, and I think there's a point to be made that you know, once athletes get in Memphis, they like Memphis. Like what Memphis has to offer. I mean, you know, it's a great city. Uh, you know, all cities have their chance of weaknesses, and I think that, you know, being from D- Detroit, personally, I like Memphis a lot. You know, Jaron didn't want to work out for the Grizzlies last year. Got drafted by them. Uh, he seems to love Memphis now. This is just part of the process. It's nothing to read too far into. Right. At the end of the day, if the Grizzlies want Jaw, they'll take Jaw. If they want Barrett, they'll take Barrett, and everybody will move, will move on. 
Well, something interesting that you said, Amari, is that, um, you know, Jaron also said that he didn't want to come here, and people said that was because the Grizzlies already had Marcus Gasol, they already had Jermichael Green here, and he didn't think he would be showcased here. Hey, the kid wasn't wrong about, about those worries that he had about not being showcased here and not being able to, all his talents to come out. So whatever fears he had in that way, he wasn't wrong about that. Um, but interesting thing is that Jaron seems to love the city of Memphis. You can look on his Twitter, look on his Instagram uh, he's constantly uh, tweeting things out about the city him, himself on Bill Street, and he he genuinely seems to either genuinely love Memphis or genuinely understand the importance of coming off like you love Memphis, a la Shane Battier. I, I know I probably upset a lot of listeners when I said that, because so I thought Shane <laughs> Battier was one of the fakest dudes that ever come through here. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, he's he's got it. He understands the importance of showing love to the city. So, uh, so that's something that you think that. Uh, um, would happen regardless of what the Grizzlies do if they drafted uh, R.J. Barrett, if they drafted John Morant. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, I think I think either way, you know, you would potentially get an athlete who would, you know, really love and embrace the city. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look league-wide. I mean, you know, what, what, how many athletes were, you know, talking about how much they love Portland, you know, before this current, you know, right. era with Damian Lillard. You know, you have, you have Westbrook embracing Oklahoma City. You have Donovan Mitchell embracing Salt Lake City, you know, these are all small market teams and mm-hmm. not, you know, necessarily cities that, you know, leap off of the page, you know, when you read them. And Memphis is in that same category, yet, you know, Zach Randolph, Mark Gasson, and Mike Conley obviously rep the city proudly. Right. Uh, you know, that's just kind of how things go. I mean, you know, if, if it's a market argument, Memphis. yes, L.A. is New York. The market is just one factor in what makes a city, obviously. And Memphis has a lot going for it that's not just uh, market size. And that's always been a weird thing to me because Memphis is a city that once you get here, players seem to fall. Most players seem to fall in love with it, but it's it's always been this uh, negative connotation about it, like the, the where people think that they wouldn't want guys wouldn't want to come here, and especially for quote unquote urban guys, you would, you would think that more guys would want to be here. I can't remember who it was on TV. I think it was Jalen Rose, maybe, who was talking about he's surprised that that more guys don't want to play in the city in the city of Memphis more. You know. Guys from the inner city don't want to play uh, in Memphis because they would fit in more here. But uh, hope you know, hopefully, we you know you got a resurgence of guys like uh, Jaron Jackson. Hopefully, you get a John Morant and a guy like John, whose whose DNA, his his uh, his character, his uh, personality, almost blend in with the city perfectly. You hope with guys like that, maybe you can maybe you can you know change things around where guys, uh, you know, big name guys may want to start coming here. Potentially, yeah. uh, you know, I certainly think Ja has star power. Uh, you know, I think he could be that sort of electric point guard that could transform a franchise. So, mm-hmm. you know, assuming that that happens, it'll be exciting to see where that goes. Yeah, I mean, you're you're not from Memphis. You're from Detroit. You you fit right in. I, I uh, man, you hang out on the town. I, I go to places and didn't even know you were going to be there and see you there. I mean, you know, you, I'm joking about that part. But I, I, you know, you love Memphis, man. So, you know, I, I think it'll be. I think it can work. Uh, moving on, though. Uh, Amari, you, let's talk about the coaching search. Are the Grizzlies going to have a coach this year? Yes or no? <laughs> you know, <laughs> or is Para going to coach from from you know Japan somewhere with a headset and just kind of you know yell out orders overseas? What, Maybe they'll just have a team of assistants. Maybe those be four or five assistants they hire, and, right? And they <laughs> just know, take turns different. coaching depending on the matchup or whatever. Or you just might have a drone coach or something, an Android coach or something that's just you know. Set up with all the algorithms. Well, to, they're going to pull something out the hat. Yeah. Be something we've never seen before. Yeah. <laughs> this, 
Before Coach Fitz is a red herring, man. They're going to trick us. Right. Have Siri or something. Just, you know, just some computer program that coaches the game. That'll be awesome. <laughs> Alexa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so the coaching search. Are you hearing anything that we're not hearing? That's that's outside of what's um, uh, what's you know being broadcasted. You know, or, or do you have a gut feeling of who you think the coach is going to be? You know, I don't have a gut feeling per se. You know, just people I've talked to. Uh, you know, I've kind of heard. You know, you know, like well, this person may be better. You know, this person may not be as good. Uh, you know, and it just sounds like the Grizzlies are doing their due diligence. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they've interviewed people that, you know, we haven't heard about, uh, you know, like why stop at seven? Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious to see what they do. You know, I think they're in a place now where, you know, I think of the seven, uh, everybody has their favorites. You know, it's a case where, you know, at the end of the day, we don't know who the best candidate is because, you know, none of these people outside of, uh, you know, the, the, the former Suns coach, Eagle, has been a head coach in the NBA before. So, uh, you know, so I think you have people who were highly touted assistants who get the job and don't pan out. You have people who are more outside the box, like Steve Kerr, who get the job and were perfect for it. Right. Uh, so I don't. So at this point, I don't really have a gut. You know, I think of the seven that they've looked at. You know, I don't know if there's necessarily somebody who just stands out as not being a good candidate. Uh, you know, and I, and I would say that it's encouraging that they are taking their time to get it right because there really is no no rush to get it done. Uh, you know, assuming that they, they take job, you know, the job at this point, you know, it is what it is. And the only thing that can really change it going into the next season is what happens with Mike Conley. So you're still in the same vision at this point, uh, you know, to all your candidates, and that doesn't really change much. So, uh, you know, I, I, w- I would assume we're getting close to that point. You know, uh, maybe they want to get a coach in before the, the, the draft, maybe not. But, you know, it is June 1st now. Uh, you know, coaches are usually in place by now. So, you know, yeah, that's you, you, you got to get a coach in, man. Like, you, you, it's the draft is coming up at, at literally at the end of this month. And you want you want a guy who's there who's got, you know, he, he's got your same philosophy. He's got your heartbeat. He's able to share his input on, on what you're doing. I just think they're, they're, they're approaching that weird zone that the Grizzlies usually approach where – it's starting to get uncomfortable. Like, dude, just hire a coach. I mean, there, it's only so much you can do. But who, who is your? If if you were the GM of the Grizzlies, if you were King Climbing himself, who would you pick as the uh, as the Grizzlies head coach? The Lithuanian coach, uh, Sarunas. He's he's very intriguing. He's a guy whose name has popped up a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, he's known as a strategic. He's known as a, co- a tough coach to play for. My man, uh, my man. You know, but hey, I mean. You know, some coaches are a bit more hard nosed. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to Michigan State. I watched Izzo for five years right. when I was there. You know, you know, some coaches are, are like that. You know, as long as you don't cross the line, it's like fine. Uh, you know, beyond that, you look inside the NBA. Nate Tibbs has been a guy who's been around for a long time. Uh, and like, and honestly, you know, like the last recruit who was announced last week, uh, Taylor Griffin from Milwaukee. You know, who's coached under uh, Mike Budenholzer, I think, for five years, going back to Atlanta. Uh, Budenholzer is one of the best coaches in the NBA. You know, he completely transformed Milwaukee last year. Uh, the style of basketball he plays is at odds with the style of basketball that the Grizzlies have played for the last decade or so. But it's very modern, and I think you know you give him a young core and Jaron and potentially Ja. You know that the potential of that pick and roll. You know that could produce something great. So uh, I like I like Taylor Griffin, the uh, the Milwaukee assistant, a lot. Well, uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Taylor Jenkins. Uh, Taylor Jenkins. Yeah, you, Taylor you got Jenkins. him mixed up with Adrian Griffin. Well, here's my yeah. thing with Taylor <laughs> Jenkins. Here's my thing with Taylor Jenkins, bro. He looks a little bit too much like 
my high school PE coach. So uh, I'm a little concerned <laughs> with that guy. This looks like a high school football coach or something, man. Like, or or, or he looks like <laughs> looks like uh, what's the guy who used to, who used to do the skit on on Saturday Night Live? You're talking about in a van down by the river. It looks like Chris Farley a little bit too much for me, man. So, <laughs> Chris Farley. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure about I'll that guy. I'm one of those guys. I don't. I don't. I, I'm. I'm kind of concerned about aesthetics, and it comes down to my coach, my my NBA coach, bro. So I'm not. I'm not I'm, so him and Griffin both have issues as far as that goes. But my man, <laughs> got to have the right face for, for the right. Retail, huh? have, yeah, you got to have the face and, and the body type for the gig, man. <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> but you you talked about my man Sarunas. I see you avoid his last name. Amari, are, are you able to say his name? Will you be able to say his name in a press conference? I know his nickname is Saurus. That's probably the, what I'll be saying if he's the coach next year in, in the media scrum or whatever. So, are you avoiding his last name or what? What, what are you doing tomorrow? Right now, I'm I'm, I'm avoiding it. If they get hired, then yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend some time and I make sure I get it right. Yeah, hey, man, who, who's got that kind of time though? Man? Like I'm from South Memphis, <laughs> you from Detroit. Like we ain't got time to be trying to say yes or Kevishes or whatever it is. I mean, who's got time for all that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if he gets hired, I'll get it right. Otherwise, I'm not about to embarrass myself on on yeah. Saturday morning radio. I'm right, too early for that. Too early, man. <laughs> and speaking of aesthetics, uh, I like Sarunas because he looks crazy. He looks like he's lost his mind. In most pictures you see, he looks like he's <laughs> yeah, it looks like he's flat out having a breakdown. So I'll give me that guy on the sideline. He also looks like the uh, I don't know if you remember the old arcade game Arch Rivals. You remember that game? Yeah, he looks like the generic coach that was on that game. That was like. Always like super intense. You, you, yeah, that's what he, that's what he looks like to me. But yeah, man. Uh, do you think that uh, watching the NBA Finals, um, a narrative that you see all the time is that coaching doesn't matter. If you got the talent, you know, to- coaching doesn't matter. It's all about the players and what they're able to do. I'm I'm starting to grow out of that that narrative. What do you think about that? Especially looking at the finals this year with a guy like Nick Nurse who came in. Yeah, they added Kawhi. But there's just certain things, certain intricacies that he's doing that's just – it looks like he's maximizing everything Toronto has to offer. Coaching matters for sure. You know, I don't think it matters as much as it does in, like, college basketball, but I think coaching certainly matters. You know, I think especially when you get into playoff basketball and everything matters more. You know, mm-hmm. like the ro- ro- rotations, those out-of-time outplays, like all that, everything is just amplified in the playoffs and you begin to see, uh, you know, how much that really matters. You know, you have to see coaching too – raise the floor for certain things. Uh, I mean, you know, like, there's only a handful of coaches in the NBA that, that do that. But you just look at Milwaukee from last season to this season. The whole style of basketball change. Uh, you know, they did get some more talent in, like, Brooke Lopez was, you know, like, just like their third best player this year, and he transformed them. But, you know, the larger point is that Budenholzer came in, he had a vision Friday would play, he identified guys who would fit that vision, and they executed it, and it didn't, they didn't go as far as they wanted to go. You know, but Giannis is still only like 23 or 24. You know, mm-hmm. they'll be back next year. Uh, I think that's a perfect example of how much coaching matters. You know, you go back to Golden State. Uh, you know, when Steve Kerr took over, he, you know, he, he revamped their offense. He allowed, you know, uh, Steph to be Steph. You know, Steph was unleashed. You know, he could pull up from deep. You know, he could do everything he wanted to do. He wasn't doing that to the same degree with, with Mark Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think, I think, uh, a good coach, they make good decisions that over the course of a year uh, pay off, uh, you know, in a way that an inferior coach can sometimes make decisions that cause teams to not live up to their potential. So I think from like a ceiling floor argument, there are coaches that, you know, can raise your floor and raise your ceiling and there are coaches who don't. And I think to that degree, you know, coaching does matter, even if I won't say that, you know, like for some teams that may not make or break. You know, for LeBron, I think if you have LeBron here, mm-hmm. or prime LeBron, you're in good shape regardless. Because so. LeBron's going to be the coach anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> or, uh, or, you know, or, or something similar to that. Speaking of coaching, bro, um, is there any coach in the world that has more swag than Nick Nurse right now? Uh, Nick Nurse is in his bag. <laughs> I like his glasses. I like his glasses. I do. Nick Nurse has great glasses. Yeah. Because, I mean, he go he literally goes from Dexter from Dexter's laboratory during the game to, like, John Cena or somebody <laughs> after the press conference. You know what I mean? Like, he's... <laughs> Like he's like he's about to drop a mixtape after every press conference, man. He's got the he's got the Nick Nurse Nike hat with the double ends on it. Like, he's just super super cool dude, man. Like like I say, like I hope whoever the Grizz is hired, I hope he go has. I hope he has that Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde thing too. Like, I want I want to see if Sarunas, you know, what I'm saying, uh, you know, get his hair twisted up, you know, after the game, and come out, you know, chopped up with a fresh uh-huh. fresh tape on the side or something. What you think? I feel like it's too <laughs> there's gonna be a story about Nick Nurse's suit collection or something. Oh like, yeah, I'm man. Like this man. Like he, like he, it's something about him. Like he, he collects Jordans. It's something. It's something. Man. Yeah, man. It's like it's, I, don't, I don't know. It's just a little something there. Yeah, he, he might got he might got a taste for the brown sugar too, man. But you know, I I, I had to do some in depth <laughs> research on him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, Nick yeah, Nurse. Is, one, man. Yeah, Nick Nurse is super cool, man. Like that's the, give me that guy on my sideline, bro. But uh, another thing too, NBA Finals. Uh, any impressions after Game One? Uh, or uh, is Mark, is Mark going to get his first championship, or is Golden State going to wake up and, and Toronto never wins another game? Two days ago, I predicted uh, Golden State and seven. Right now, I'm sticking with Golden State and seven. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, only because I figured figured Toronto would give them fits early. Right. Uh, you know, I figured Kevin Durant would return midway through and kind of change things a bit. And so far, it looks like that's what's going to happen. You know, Durant's supposed to come back in game three or game four. Uh, you know, Toronto, they may get the first two games, and that would obviously change things a lot. Right. Uh, plus, they, they would get a game seven in Toronto, which would change things. Just as a general rule, I don't bet against Golden State. Oh, man. Durant. Uh, I mean, to me, like, that's, 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 that's wraps. You know, we see Golden State do this every year. They, mm-hmm. you know, they don't play up to their potential. Going gets tough. They turn it up, and we doubt it while we, or, you know, we look at it like, why did we doubt them to begin with? Yeah, bro. Uh, I, you know, I like Toronto a lot. You know, but at the end of the day, if Durant comes back, I think Golden State has it. I don't think you really have to dig up any advanced stats for that. Like that's just how yeah, it is. man. Like I, I learned a long time ago, never bet against Golden State any version of because I I said Golden State in six, even if KD didn't play a game, I think they beat him. Because I mean, it just the Warriors hadn't played in in nine days. They looked obviously rusty. They looked obviously like they weren't ready for the fight in game one, but they still hung around. You got fifty points from. Uh, Pascal Siakam and Marcus Marcus combined, you're not getting that again. You know what I mean? And um, I think Golden State is going to end up winning the series regardless. But like I said, man, people try to count out Clay, Draymond, and Steph. Man, that's like trying to that's like that's like killing Jason, Freddie, and Pennywise and thinking they ain't coming back, bro. <laughs> like <laughs> they're coming, bro. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not going to count out Golden State until it is, you know, final game zero 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 on the clock. They've been eliminated. Those guys. You know they do some crazy things. They've done it forever. Uh, final thing: what's your what's your uh, opinion of Drake, man? Do you have any issue with what King Drake is doing on the sideline for Toronto? Man, first of all, people got to stop acting like Drake is a fan. Drake is a Toronto employee, like, right? <laughs> you know, like this isn't just no. He's actually a, a Toronto employer, which is even because which gives him even more right to do what he wants to do on the sideline. You yeah. know what I mean? You know, like I'm sure he's chatted with Nick Nurse. It's not like he's just yeah. some random dude touching. You know, like I like I get. You know, just from like a macro perspective, like, hey, we can't have people who aren't coaches, you know, touching the head coach. Like, I get that. Uh, look, Toronto, like, this is the greatest time in Toronto basketball history. Uh, you know, on some level, you know, maybe a very, very minor level, 
you know, Drake is a part of that. You know, <laughs> like on, on on his next album, he's absolutely going to dedicate a song to the Raptors, right. to Kawhi Leonard, you know, and a bid to get him to stay. No, uh, of it's probably it good fun, and it really wasn't worth the attention that it got. Like, it was funny. Let's just move on and enjoy it for what it was. No need to make it a big issue. Another thing about Drake, you know, guys always, whenever a sports team does well, somebody from that city drops a song, you know, kind of, you know, in, like quick and quick in response to it, they'll drop a song, whether it be a known artist or whatever. Somebody makes always makes a song for a team. I think Drake's would be the first one that would be like number one song in in, in the country if he <laughs> if he drops a song for uh for the Raptors or whatever. You know how Drake has those uh those time songs like six p.m. in New York, four p.m. in Calabasas. Like mm-hmm. I know he has one called like if the like the Raptors win, he'll drop one called Eleven p.m. in Toronto. Yeah, right? exactly. Be, it's game, like it'll be his, his his greatest song ever. Yeah, game like, six I'm, and I'm the six. Or <laughs> yeah, game six and six, like all of that, man. Yeah, like I'm just excited for the musical potential we're getting from this. If anything else, yeah, man. Because people, I think people are just being ridiculous, man. Like I said, Drake is you know he's a Toronto guy. He's in his is in his city. He's older than the team, so he was there when the team literally got there. So, come on, man. Like let the man let the man enjoy his moment. No, nobody knock, nobody knocks Mark Cuban for being an idiot on the sideline. The things he's done as the owner of a team. Nobody questions John, um, Jack Nicholson, uh, Spike Lee, any of these guys. It's just 2019, and we're in the social media uh, era. And it's Drake, who's who a lot of people have an issue with for some reason. But respect the goat, man. Respect respect the king of pop himself, Drake. And stop being. Stop being <laughs> I know I stir yeah, people yeah. up like. <laughs> I know when I call Drake the king of pop, it upsets a lot of people. So I make sure make sure I say it all the time. But <laughs> uh, but Amar. Go ahead, bro. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah, man. Drake, people can say what they want, man. Look, check, check his stats, man. Check the billboards. But um, I'm not the one that's going to knock Drake to do, for doing what he's doing because if it happened to Memphis, I need everybody, everybody on deck, man. All the Memphis rappers, I need y'all getting together, just just planning it out for when John and Jaren do their thing. We need to see you guys at the playoffs just like we just like we see Drake doing his thing. I think, I think that John Morant, and Jaron Jackson are the guys that can put Three Six Mafia back together, man. I believe they can. Can all the bridges that have been burned with Three Six Mafia? I believe they can put it back together, bro. That would be wild. That would be wild. <laughs> would, man, if, if, if that happened, what like just what a time for me to move to Memphis and take this job, man. Like you know, someone who's always listening to Three Six, even when I was just <laughs> the reunion the tour man, because of the Grizzlies, yeah. Or Tiger basketball. <laughs> Tiger basketball <laughs> may bring them back together. Maybe. Yeah. We'll see. Well, uh, Mar, we had a n- nice long conversation, bro. It's always good to talk to you, whether on the phone or we're uh, talking something on sports radio. And well, I appreciate you, brother. That was Amari Sankofa from uh, The Athletic. We talked everything under the sun regarding the Grizzlies. We talked coaching search. We talked King Drake, who has just, just been the troll king of, of the NBA Finals. Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have my man Jared J.B. Boyd of the Daily Memphian. We're going to talk about some things he's got going on. My guy Max is on the other side of the window. We're going to take a break. we see you guys back in a minute for Cerrito Live. Are you one of the many necessary residents who suffer from everyday boredom? Do you sit around at night looking at your phone while trying to find something to do? If so, ask your doctor about Cerrito Trivia. Well, actually, that'd be a little weird. Instead, just stop playing on your phone and start inviting your friends to play Cerrito Trivia. It's more than just your average mind-numbing pub quiz. It's a trivia night with questions about stuff you and your friends know and like. Featuring unique weekly themes, including TV shows, movies, music, current events, and more. All shows are free to play. For more information on locations, times, weekly themes, and drink specials, visit CerritoTrivia.com. 
or like Cerrito Trivia on Facebook and browse the best team name Hall of Fame. And by the way, did you know Cerrito Trivia isn't just for bars and restaurants? Contact Cerrito Trivia at gmail.com to bring Memphis's most unique trivia experience to your next party, work function, or special event. Cerrito Trivia is a perfect prescription for everyday order. Work side of Pixman could win prizes. Laughing out loud. I thought the easy mass quantities of delicious food, consumption of adult beverage, right paper scissors, and spending quality time with friends. CerritoTrivia.com. Attention all grandmas, grandpas, nanas, and pop-pops. Bingo is not just for you anymore. Introducing Cerrito Bingo. It's a modern twist on a classic game for everyone to enjoy. Play 10 exciting rounds of free bingo every week at locations all over the Memphis area. For more info, visit CerritoBingo.com. Cerrito Bingo is the game-o. Now play Cerrito Bingo every Sunday fun day at Laughlin Yard, every Tuesday during Pike Night at Elbow, and every Friday night at Memphis Maid's Tap Room. Now, back to Cerrito Live on Sports 56 and 87.7 FM. And we're back from the break. This again, this is Anthony Sane from... The Memphis Flyer and also the Outsiders Podcast. Just had my guy, Mario Sankofa, on. Uh, we talked about a lot of grizzly stuff. Talked about Drake as well. Talked about the NBA Finals. Uh, talked about the city of Memphis, man. Like, a lot of guys, you know, you, you, Memphis gets this reputation for where, you know, you think players won't want to come here and just hoping that that changes with guys like John Morant and Jaron Jackson, especially with Jaron Jackson being so vocal and being a man about town. And speaking of men about town, the guy I'm about to bring on is is probably one of the biggest men about town in the city of Memphis. This is my friend Jared JB Boyd. Jared, what's going on, man? Excuse me, JB, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on, brother? Thanks for having me today. JB, I just met you maybe a few months ago, but I feel like we're a lot closer friends than a lot of people that I've known for a longer time. Uh, oh man, it's love. Uh, funny story about you, bro. Me and Omari hang out a lot uh, in the city of Memphis, and um. And, you know, when you go out, you drink. And I started, I was like, bro, I didn't know who you were. I didn't know that you, I knew who you were from Twitter, but I didn't know who you were in person. And I was telling Mario, I was like, bro, I see that dude everywhere. It's like, I don't I don't even know if he's real, bro. I think it's just like maybe like God or, or angel or demon or something, like telling me I need to go home. You know what I'm Like, bro, it's like telling me this time, like, you're too old, go home, Anthony. But I used to see you all the time. Like, bro, who is this dude? Like, he goes around shaking hands. He's introduced. Like, bro, who is? He's literally e- everywhere I go. Every time I go out, this guy is here. And you he walked up to me, and you were like, "Yeah, I'm JB Boy." I said, "Yeah, JB from Twitter." And yeah, man. So we've been cool ever since. And anytime I need to know what's going on in the city of Memphis, I call you because you are the king of Midtown, the king of Uptown, the king of Crosstown, the king of North Memphis, the king of Downtown. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there's too much. There's too much land over there, man. You gonna have a lot on my plate. Yeah, but every everything, uh, everything right off of Sam Cooper is, is JB's territory. I, I try to get clearance <laughs> from you before I go anywhere, man. But um, but yeah, again, uh, JB Boy writes for the Daily Memphian. Um, explain to the people listening uh, what what you do with the uh, Daily Memphian, JB. Well, I'm a uh, general assignment reporter with the Daily Memphian, so people ask me all the time, uh, "What's your specialty? Or what's your beat? Or what do you mm-hmm. cover?" Honestly. Uh, most people know me as a guy who loves music, and that's you know something that I, I definitely uh, subscribe to as an identity for myself. But I am rarely covering music, and when I do, I try to put my foot in it. But I, I have so many other things that they need me to cover, and you know, I guess I'm not a baseball guy, but I, I think that's what you call a switch hitter, man. When yeah. uh, when when they have to send somebody in that can handle anything to drop a dime. I might not be the best at any one thing, but I, I have a, a breadth of, of different ways that I can tackle 
uh, just by any story. So it depends on, you know, some might slip through somebody else's cracks. If they're busy, they're covered up, they're in the weeds. I'll jump in there and make sure that I get it done. Uh, and so we've, we've got a lot of content that, that is, is queued up to roll out and a lot of things that are happening that are excited in the newsroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for those who do know me as a music guy, I get to, to uh, explore that outlet as well mm-hmm. as a part of, well, a co-host uh, now of uh, NPR's uh, internationally syndicated uh, Bill Street Caravan. So I get to do some of that too as well. Right. Uh, tell us more about the Bill Street Caravan because I've been kind of hip to that as well. You, you, you're, hipping, you're hipping me to everything that a midtown Crosstown hipster like myself needs to be hip too, bro. So, so just tell well, me more about the, the Bill Street Caravan. Oh, for sure. Well, for for the record, I'm 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 from Parkway Village originally, and I'm and I'm a downtowner now. But you know, I, I venture I venture out where they where they let me go. But uh, I um man on the on the Bill Street Caravan, I'm really blessed to to be a part of a program that's been going on for more than 20 years strong. Uh, and I co-host with Ms. Uh, Pat Mitchell Worley, who many around town may know. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, we have a team who goes out and they uh, basically record concerts and that showcase and really explore uh, the various types of, of music forms, American cultural forms that uh, our local music scene uh, is able to accommodate. And so, you know, it may not always be a Memphis artist, but a lot of times it'll be an artist that in some ways exemplifies what music in Memphis is like and what mm-hmm. the vibe of Memphis is like. And, and so uh, we'll we'll go out and record them and get their concert on tape and we'll uh, broadcast it internationally. It's in 404, I believe, domestic terrestrial radio stations and even more than that internationally. And so along with the concert, we'll have a segment with them where we interview them and uh, Pat and I will talk a bit about, you know, just the context of what the music is and what it means to the identity of, of Memphis's culture. And I actually attended one of those. I was at the one that you had at the Crosstown Concourse in the green room when Black Cream performed, as well as another guy. I can't remember who the other guy was, but I was at Abe, that. That was Abe Abraham Partridge from uh, Mobile, Alabama. Right, and I, I was at that uh, live recording. And I enjoyed it. I just I just love the things that you're doing, man. Like I said, you're an uh, advocate for the city, and you're putting, like you said, an international spotlight on Memphis music. Uh, everyone knows that so much music came through here through the city of Memphis. A lot of it has migrated to Nashville. But it's just good to see guys like yourself and other guys in the city that are promoting um, the local artists here. Uh, speaking of Memphis music, I know that you had a, a big hand in the uh, the bicentennial uh, music piece that was in the Daily Memphis. It was, it was a long-running story you guys had. I know that Chris Harrington had a part of it. But I know when it came down to the modern era in, in, in the hip-hop music, I, I saw you had to slap Harrington's hands away like, oh, okay, let you back up on that one, Harrington. So tell me, about, tell me about that story and the role you played in it. Well, well, Chris was gracious enough to, uh, to to sort of let me take the lead on on that uh, more mm. modern music uh, because he took the lead on on the early music with the field recordings and you know WC Handy and all that stuff that was you know prior to people like Sam Phillips and Chips Moman and uh, and Stella Axton and all these people that paved the way and, and sort of the I'd, I'd say what the golden era what we call it, the golden era of, of Memphis music. Uh, but yeah, man. Uh, at the Daily Memphis, we, we've got a lot of, of bicentennial uh, coverage that we want to spread out throughout the year, and so uh, Chris and I decided to tackle uh, a month of music and celebration of music. And in light of it being Memphis in May, there was several there were several other projects that were similar. But uh, we we handled the music, and, and Jennifer Biggs handled the food, and so we had a lot of different things going on this month, and uh, we we. 
we had a lot of different ways that we thought we might be able to encompass. There's not quite 200 years of recorded music history in Memphis, but it is quite a long time. And, and so we, you know, decided to split it up into, into three three periods and try to represent a different idea of Memphis music that sort of defined every year. And there were some years that had more than one song, but we, we sort of just wanted to start off with, okay, can we pick a song for each year that doesn't overlap with artists from previous years and that expresses uh, a new idea of Memphis music so that we could cover all bases. And I think we did, well, you know, if I can speak humbly in my own opinion, I think that we did a pretty good job of covering as much as we could. There's so much other stuff out there that, that we we went back and forth on. And, mm-hmm. you know, Chris and I, music nerds, and I really consider him a, um, a mentor when I was an intern at the Commercial Appeal back in the day. Uh, I was friends with Chris's. Some of Chris's friends, we had some mutual friends, but I grew up with a little brother. So uh, we, we were able to become fast friends when I was in that capacity at the Commercial Appeal several years ago. And uh, he was one of the big advocates for getting me back uh, home to Memphis from Alabama. When I was I was out there sort of finding myself and, and, and growing a bit before I was able to come back home and just be home. So. Yeah, Chris is one of those guys. He can go back with, with it on the music, man. He was like, uh, he'll be talking about, some cavemen beating on a wall with sticks and, and, and <laughs> rocks. And, and, and I've actually got that on vinyl on my collections. Right. <laughs> you know, Chris will pull out some stuff, man. Like, bro, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? So, well, believe uh, it or not, I was able to stomp him a few times. And doing this project, he kind of got frustrated with me. Like, why didn't you say that? You know, he'd he come to me and say, I heard about this thing that exists. And I was like, yeah, I have that on, on vinyl. He's like, why didn't you say something? You know, we got to get in there fast. So that, that felt good yeah. to, to be able to... Uh, to, to get up with him on, on a little bit of that. Yeah, man. Harrington to find something with Jesus on wax. If you, you let him dig deep enough, bro. <laughs> but yeah, bro. Uh, speaking of Memphis music, uh, we I talked to Amari about this, the whole Drake thing with Drake in the finals. Um, I, I'm sure that you're a sports fan. I know, I know we were supposed to try to kick it for game one of the finals. Um, for sure. I can't just name one guy that I could say could be our Drake. I would say if one person would be our Drake, it would be Mark Goodfellow, who... Was doing, mm. who's been doing that forever on the sidelines since day one when we were wearing, you know, the inaugural season. Um, right. I'd say Mark Goodfellow. But as far as musicians go, I can't really name one guy because Memphis, I think it's more of a collective effort of guys that make Memphis music. I don't think there's truly one king of Memphis music that I would say needs to represent us on the sideline like Drake. Uh, so what, do, do you agree with that? that if, if, if the finals, we were in the playoffs, we made a major run, do you think that you would just see just a just a collection of, of guys at the games, or do you think one guy would stand out? Well, you, I think I think you, you I saw you tweet something similar. I think that uh, you're about right. If first of all, if Memphis were were able to make it to the finals, we'd see some some wild behavior. Oh probably, man, uh, all the way up there in the nosebleed. Yeah, perform <laughs> all the way down. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think Mark would get out of here. I think you know it's. It's interesting because the Drake thing is just such a special case with him already being one of the biggest megastars in the country, or in the world, rather, excuse me. He's not even from, technically from America. Uh, he's an international global superstar, but also, I mean, he is a, a part of of the Raptors organization and their brand. And, you know, I'm not, I know I'm not saying anything that's corny to anybody, mm-hmm. but I've heard different people say different things that I don't think are quite true. Somebody's mentioned, somebody said yesterday, maybe I heard overheard someone say, well, doesn't he own half of the team? No, no he doesn't own half no, the team. No, he doesn't own half the team. No. Um, I think that I've heard that there may be, uh, there he may have some minority ownership, but that hasn't been confirmed to my knowledge. But the, we know that he is a global ambassador. That's the title that they've given him. Mm-hmm. 
I just think, you know, as an employee of a team, I wouldn't want another – I haven't seen a president of another employee of a team act the way that he acts or behave the way that he acts. And I think it's it's fine to a certain point. And, you got Mark you know, Cuban, though, J.B. How can you say that Mark Cuban is one of the biggest idiots in the world on the sideline? Well, well, he doesn't quite sit right on the sideline, though, does he? I, I, see, I, I think he typically sits a few rows back where I think with the – in light of Malice in the Palace and the, the hard line that the NBA has taken mm-hmm. on players getting off the sidelines at, at moments of excitement, uh, I think that my I think the worst case scenario for me would be two different things. If Drake were to, I saw him like doing this winding his arm up thing a few games ago. Let's say he accidentally hit somebody doing that. You know yeah. what I mean? And that creates a scuffle the way that the beer flying on to uh, Metal World Peace created this big thing like i could see that escalating quickly just from an accident or the beer wasn't an accident but something like that turned into something that's blown out of proportion and also if there was some sort of disruption like a knucklehead running onto the floor and i'm i went to old miss so i've seen some football games where people have been streaking and things like that things happen uh if there were some sort of situation to break off in one of those arenas i think with security being lax trying to get used to Drake's antics, mm-hmm. they might be distracted and they might just be off their game. Like, you know, if they're hanging back a bit, something might happen and, you know, it might go miss. You know what I mean? Right. Those are my two biggest fears with the Drake situation. Well, I'm, I'm putting a tweet up online, actually, as we speak, of the famous uh, Mark Cuban picture of him rubbing shoulders with Chandler Parsons on the sidelines. So I just want <laughs> I'm just throwing that out just to see what people are going to say. Um, That's fair. And something else about Memphis, I'm going to take it to church for a minute as far as we talked about the Memphis rappers or whatever. Uh, you, you grew up in the Memphis church, so you've heard the phrase when, when the preacher or the praise and worship leader comes up and he says something to the effect of, I'm not going to prime you uh, to do what you need to do or whatever. You know you know the language I'm using, right? So yeah, yeah. when you see Drake, he's that pastor or the praise and worship leader who's priming Toronto to, to be on 10 and to lead that movement. Memphis doesn't need priming, doesn't need pimping or priming. So <laughs> it, it, it's going to be a crunk atmosphere. It's going to be a lit atmosphere anyway. So like you said, you'll probably see people all over the place in the stands just doing their own thing, but it won't need that, that particular spearhead uh, or, that, or that, that head figure like uh, like Drake is to Toronto. But I'd love to see it, man. I'd love to see that what that celebration would look like. I'll do respect to, to Toronto's fans and to uh, just his his exuberance. I mean, they deserve uh, all these franchises. You, you love to see a franchise that hasn't been uh, to to the to the big games have have that sort of spirit. And you know, I can only hope that for Memphis one day. I can only imagine what that energy would be like. And you know, with with them being such an outlier as you know, now the only Canadian franchise in the league. Uh, you know, we're grateful to have the Grizzlies, uh, but you know that that entire country uh, is behind that that team, and it looks like a lot of people in the U.S. are as well because we just want to see something different. You know, we want you. and parity is a strange thing. You know, it's hard to to really argue that parity has really been a, a real thing in any sport. You know, mm-hmm. you see dynasties all the time, or you see the same teams sort of creep to the top of of, of the standings every year. But you know, it's, it's great to see those guys having fun. So, you know, I, I, I wish the best for them. Right. Let me ask you this, JB. In the event that um, maybe four or five years ago, Kawhi is still in Toronto, Memphis gets it together, and it's Memphis versus Toronto in the NBA Finals. 
which side is Drake going to choose? He gonna, is he going to go with his <laughs> his summertime home, uh, Memphis? Or he's going to ride with Toronto? Is he going to have the the half Jaron half uh, Kawhi Leonard jersey on? Is he? I mean, would you, would you allow him to? Let's say it's just the Grizzlies in the finals by himself. Would you allow Drake to come as quote quote unquote a Memphis rapper and celebrate a finals or a playoff run with Memphis? Would would you allow him to come back and do that? No. <laughs> no, I, when when everyone was 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 spreading the rumor that he would be showing up for Memphis uh, Madness, yeah, I I was disgusted with that, and I was I think I went just to make sure that he didn't come because I'm so <laughs> like I'm really big on cultural boundaries, and I appreciate that you know he came up you know hanging out in Whitehaven and doing his thing back in the day, and that's mm-hmm. cool. But uh, man, I, I first of all I've seen him hop from team to team to team. I think the big no no for me is. He wore the Kentucky jersey, went out there, warmed up with him, shot that ugly Airball. shot, hung out in the you know, hung out in the locker room. And once you cross that Calipari line with me, you just can't come back. Can't I'm come sorry. back, bro. <laughs> All right, let me ask you this, JB, just to change the pace, uh, just to step away from the comical things and the sports stuff we're talking about. Still sports, but on a much more uh serious note. Uh one of the, one of your jobs with the Daily Memphian is you're covering the actual uh, Lorenzo Wright, Lorenzo Wright murder trial. I'm not sure how long it's been since uh, the horrible murder of Lorenzo Wright here in the city of Memphis, but you're covering that. I'm not sure how much you can talk about or how much you've already written about. I haven't done my homework on that. But is there anything you'd like to share just as, as whatever level of observation you had over that over that uh, case, over that trial? Well, as it stands currently, uh, we have a criminal justice reporter, Yolanda Jones, uh, at, at the Daily Memphian, and she's She's been out uh, dealing with with a with a family emergency, and so I, I stepped in this week uh, to cover Cheryl Wright and Billy Turner's hearings. They appeared in court twice this week, uh, once on Tuesday and once on Thursday. And uh, you know, like I said, being a switch hitter, you, you don't necessarily always get enough time to uh, prepare. Uh, and this is my first time going to cover court since moving back to Memphis in January, and so I. I had to sort of brief myself really quickly and, and really walk into that situation with some sensitivity because it is a high-profile case. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, uh, I, his, he disappeared in 2010, and his body was found in 2010, and, and it took seven years for, them, for the police to uh, identify suspect or identify that they had made an arrest, rather, uh, or made two arrests in this case. And it's been an interesting week. Uh, court is just absolutely fascinating and i tweeted that on tuesday and i didn't want to make light of of the gravity of the situation but you know i think people like me and pull behind the curtain a bit into what goes on in, in the mind of a reporter especially when i'm covering so many different things and you know uh policy and the way that our criminal justice system shakes down uh it's just as far as the procedure is just absolutely fascinating and uh, i wanted to Sometimes you have to pump yourself up to go into a situation like that, and, and so that was one thing I shared with people. Like, you know, I'm going to court. Today. I didn't, I didn't say where I was going or who I was going for, but I was excited to see court. Um, it's definitely a tragic thing that happened, and you know, the best I can say is is that uh, you know, you got a prosecution, you got a defense, and the defense seemed extremely confident that they can uh, defend their case. Uh, or defend against the case that the prosecution will set forth. So the prosecution has the burden of proof, and they are the ones that are going to lay out a case, and defense has to uh, come up with um, some sort of 
way to rebut that with some sort of uh, theory or uh, a way to give the jury or make the jury think critically about whether or not this crime was done beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, in this case, and sorry to be long-winded, you know, oh, you're good. There's, there's just so many complicated things going on from my understanding. Uh, and I, I don't necessarily want to go into deep detail about it, but from my understanding, uh, Cheryl Wright's lawyers and Billy Turner's lawyers are, are really trying to get a better understanding of who uh, the other suspects in this case would have been because there are people who are mentioned in affidavits and other warrants that uh, aren't charged with this crime. And so, uh, you know, they want to know why their clients have been charged with this crime when other people were named in the warrants that eventually led to the wiretap that helped break this case open for the police and then prosecutors. So it's, it's really interesting to say that and to see that. And, you know, I, I kind of am most curious about what it feels like to be a person who is on the other end of that. Like, you know, you might just chill at home and crack on the newspaper and you see somebody's asking why you weren't indicted for a crime that you are currently in the clear for. You know, I don't know where those people are. I know one of them is, is currently in prison serving uh, time for another completely un, uh, unrelated uh, circumstance. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, that, that's one reason why I don't want to continue to blast those people's names out there because as they, as they, as it exists today, currently they haven't been charged with anything. And, you know, that's, that's the way our, our, our criminal justice system works. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't want somebody to keep putting my name in something that, you know, currently I have not been uh, suspected of doing. So, right. Yeah. Well, well, transitioning from the case a little bit and transitioning back to sports, um, something I'm kind of passionate about is why hasn't the home team, why hasn't the why haven't the Memphis Grizzlies retired Lorenzo Rice jersey? I mean, he's a guy who's wow. a local guy. He was the first local player to ever play for the Memphis Grizzlies. We traded for him. Uh, the first draft as the Memphis Grizzlies, we traded to uh, acquire him on draft night from Memphis. Great player at the University of Memphis. Technically, he was grit and grind before grit, there was grit and grind. You know, he was one of those original hard-nosed guys, you know, just get rebounds, fight. Wasn't just this prolific scorer. It was just that dog in the middle uh, in the rinse and right. I don't know if they're trying to avoid controversy. I don't know if they want to do anything until the, to the, the verdict has been done or – more clarity came on the trial, but I know we've had ownership change since he came here, but it just doesn't make sense. I'm not going to say he was this amazing player for the Grizzlies, but it just seems like that Lorenzo's numbers should be retired. Just look at his other situations in the NBA of guys who've had similar similar situations happen to them. You know, what is it hurting to throw 55 up into the uh, – was it – no, 42. What is it hurting to throw 42 up into the Raptors? Yeah, uh, that's – I mean, that's a great question. You know, I, I definitely, you know, to hear you talk about that and think about it in this way, you know, as a as a young kid that grew up in Memphis, I think I, I may have, especially in recent years, taken for granted just how special that story is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for him to go from BT, BT from Mississippi to BTW to you know U of M, was it Memphis State or U of M when he was? It there? was uh, it was U of M when he was there. I think, yeah. And and uh, you know and on to eventually become a grizzly when you know that's that's something that I most I'm sure he never probably dreamed of because there was no grizzlies when he was when he was a child you mm-hmm. know what I mean uh, but you know every young hooper 
every young kid that grows up in this city, whether you play at the precinct over by Halley Stadium or whether you played at uh, MUS or Lausanne or whatever, whatever level of basketball you played in, church league, whatever the case, AAU, you, if you grew up in this city and you hooped, you know, to dream to play in front of your hometown and, and in front of all those fans, you know, on a collegiate level and then at a professional level, you know, how could you beat that? Yeah. You know, uh, and and just honestly, when you talk about him, I just thought thought about his smile and his spirit. You yeah. know what I mean? Just, he, just, he was Memphis personified. Just He was just Memphis dude, laid back in the cut, hard nose. You, 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 you touch him, he going to, you know, if you – if you test him, he's going to go off on you. He was, just a, he was just Memphis personified on the basketball court, bro. For sure, for sure. And, you know, I, in, in considering all of those things, I don't know that I'm crazy about the Jersey retirement tradition uh, and elevating uh, certain players to that status. I don't know how I feel about the Lorenzo. In light of, I think the, the Grizzlies franchise has maybe pulled the trigger on uh, – putting numbers in the Raptors too fast, and, mm-hmm. and that might be a con- controversial thing to say. Uh, but, you know, with a with an organization that, that hasn't really gained any banners, I think that we might need to slow down, maybe put a moratorium on uh, putting numbers in the Raptors too fast. But I think if it, I would rather take something back that we've put up there already and, and put Lorenzen up there. And, you know, when you, when you think about what it means to retire a jersey, you're literally taking numbers out of your your, your possible lineup. So that, mm-hmm. uh, that also creates an issue. If you put too many up there, but, you know, 42 is a very popular number, and I definitely think that uh, Lorenzen uh, is a player who's worthy of that consideration. Right. But, you know, it is, it is also you, you begin to limit yourself if you put too many up there. Well, I hear you on that. I, I see both sides of it. I definitely hear what you're saying, though. But, uh, JB, I enjoyed you, bro. We're about to go to break, and I enjoyed having you on. You, t- you talked about a lot of things today, man. Like I said, you are just Mr. Memphis. Before you go, is, <laughs> it, it, what's going on in Memphis tonight? What's going on in the town tonight, JB? Is, is there something you can talk about on the air? <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's going on tonight, man? Man, I, I'm excited to cheer on uh, Memphis 901 FC. They're going to be playing uh, St. Louis. I'm, I'm not sure the name of their team. But mm-hmm. we're going to be playing those guys. I'm so excited that they're doing well in the Open Cup. We're going to play uh, Orlando's MLS Club in June. So, you know, I, I'm pumped around those guys. I, I believe I will be at the brass door if I can get I actually work on Saturdays. I work every Saturday. So mm-hmm. I'm getting off the phone with you. I'm going to head over to a, a luncheon for Lamont Owen and the United Negro College Fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have, I don't know if it's going to be fun, but we're going to make it quick, write that story up, and then we're going to go celebrate Memphis 901 FC and see what happens from there. All right, sounds like a plan. That was J.B. Boyd of the Daily Memphian. We're about to go to a break when we come back. Going to have Sharon Brown of uh, All Heart in, in Hoop City. She had wrote a great article for Complex Sports about women that had that managed social media accounts for uh, NBA teams. A great article. We're going to talk to her about that. As far as, far as some, of, it's also some of the other things that she deals with being not only a, a lady but a black lady in sports and just trying to crack into uh, that realm. And we'll see you guys back in a minute. This is Cerrito Live.